Did you listen to last week to hear how you could write your own story and get it read? But what if you don't have a natural talent for writing or storytelling? Perhaps your best way to garner attention for your creative endeavor, business, or startup is through PR. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, and I'm your host, as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Dick Grove, Chairman and CEO of Inc. Public Relations. Dick brings over 50 years of PR experience, making him one of the most experienced guests to appear on the show. He was also part of the team responsible for one of the greatest marketing pivots in all of history when Coca-Cola had to backpedal away from New Coke back to Coke Classic. We were both going through some unfortunate weather, which made our connection through video suffer somewhat. Apologies for that, but it still came out pretty good. For now... Let's earn our place in the news. Welcome to the show, Chairman and CEO of Inc. Public Relations, Dick Grove. Glad to be here. Thank you. I'm glad to have you on the show. Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit for people who aren't familiar with your work? Okay. Well, as Colton said, I'm Dick Grove, and I'm chairman and CEO of Inc. Public Relations. Uh, I founded this company 25 years ago, and we practice a slightly different kind of PR than the traditional big firm, of which I came out of originally. And it's different from the standpoint that we are actually a firm that charges uh, after the fact and only if we've produced results for our clients in the way of earned media publicity. Uh, That makes us a little bit different. We're uh, we're an outlier to to the traditional PR world. I'm originally from uh, Kansas, where I am right now but spent most of my career in New York, Chicago, and certainly on the West Coast in California. And uh, with big, large firms, as well as large clients from GE Capital to uh, a company called ITEL to, uh, to other firms like that, that where we uh, enlisted PR services from the big agencies. I also worked with the big agencies starting my career in New York. From all of that, I learned uh, one thing, basically, that uh, PR firms get hired for a whole lot of reasons, but they usually get fired for one reason, and that's not getting their clients media coverage. So you hear a lot about being a consultant in the PR business, about crisis communications, et cetera. But actually, what PR should be and what PR basically is, is getting good, solid, positive publicity for your client. And that's what my firm dedicated itself to. And that's what I decided to kind of flip the model when I started this company uh, 25 years ago. It's a little bit different take on PR, but it's something that uh, we've been practicing a long time. And certainly I've been in this business a long time. Yeah, it certainly sounds interesting. And, you know, when I was coming into this interview, I was looking at things and I was trying to kind of wrap my head, you know, as an unexperienced person around the difference between PR and advertising. Well, that's pretty simple. Advertising is paid. Public relations should be earned. And by earned, it means that we have to 
if you're a PR person, you have to convince the media, the editorial side of the media, to do a story on you, your company, your product, your client. And uh, by doing that, uh, you, you gain credibility because it's a third party doing a story about your client or you yourself. Paid, paid is advertising where you're literally paying someone to do a story or to, uh, or to run an ad on yourself. Uh, I, I often tell clients that if, uh, if you want to control the message, if you want to control the space and you want to control the actual placement of what's being said about you, then you buy an advertisement. Again, you can't control any of that from a PR standpoint. What you do is you're trying to convince the media to use some of their space or time to talk about you or your client. And when you do that, you know that you've earned the right to be in their publication or on their broadcast or on their podcast. And by doing that, you've got a certain amount of credibility that you wouldn't have if you were paying someone to tell your story. So the basic difference is advertising is paid, PR is earned. Interesting. And it's, you know, it's much easier to understand when you explain it like that, because it's the difference between, you know, coming up in our next segment, we're going to talk about versus we'll be right back after these breaks and then something about your company. Yeah. Somebody's, in other words, somebody's paid you or someone else to actually tell us nice things about you. Okay. Uh, when uh, the difference is, you know, the, using the Wall Street Journal, for example, the the column inches on the side telling a story and profiling a company, that's different than the ad that may sit right beside it that they've paid to tell to say something nice about their management, their company, their products, or whatever. Both are valuable in any kind of communications effort, by the way, very valuable. Uh, but they should coexist and not stand. One shouldn't take necessarily the place of the other. Uh, but we tend to, in today's digital marketing world, we tend to look at, uh, at earned media, which is what we do. In other words, getting someone to say good things about you, creating content in earned media is the fodder, so to speak, that digital media can use to spread through social media platforms and so on. So it's the basis of credibility because in effect, it's a third independent third party saying something about you. And uh, uh, that's what we try and do. And it, but advertising and paid media can complement that certainly by, by positioning certain things and being able to tell certain things that you would like to, that you may not get through the nuance of the earned media or the PR placement. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there just because of the way that, you know, social media has changed things and the way a lot of, a lot of our media is consumed through the internet. Is there kind of a way to navigate, you know, what might be an earned piece versus what is a paid piece when you're looking at things online? Well, it's difficult when it's online. When it's in the traditional media of print or broadcast, 
they literally have to identify it. And you'll see it in a, in a magazine or in a newspaper where it'll have to say on it, this is paid, this is paid advertising, or this is an advertisement. Social media, the, there are no, there don't seem to be any rules when it comes to social media. So it's up to the individual, the audience, the person in the audience that's, that's reading that or absorbing it to have some understanding of, I mean, to have some grasp of what they are looking at. And uh, I, I, I have a rule of something sounds too far, uh, not necessarily right or left, but if something is too positive in terms of being, uh, oh, let me see how, how I would say this. If it's too absolute in its presentation, uh, then be skeptical of it. That's all. If somebody is so sure about something, then be a little skeptical about it because it's probably somewhere in the middle and it's hard to determine. But one of the things you can do in social media is look for uh, attribution. So if there is a story that's being carried through social media, it hopefully will be a, have an attribution that this is from Forbes, this is from uh, entrepreneur. This is from the New York Times. This is from the Kansas City Star. Uh, this is from a particular broadcast or a particular podcast that there is some kind of attribution. If you see that attribution, then you probably can feel very comfortable that it's probably, uh, it, it's probably not necessarily true, I would say, but it's a real story that has some credibility to it. Gotcha. It's kind of like looking for a source when you're like, where did all this information come from? And if there's you know, no source, you're like, okay, this looks like just speculation. Yes. Well, you've said it very well. Okay. You look for the source, you try and get the feel if it's a credible source or not, but at least a source would be the first step. Yes. So what kind of misconceptions do people have about you know PR or just the way that the media is operating in general. Oh my goodness! Um, well, there's many, many, many misconceptions about how the media operates, but I and I can't speak to all of those, but I can speak to how the misconceptions of the PR world or public relations, etc. Uh, I think probably the greatest misconception of PR is uh is that it's easy that when a company or an individual but a company first comes to us for example saying can you get me some publicity on my new widget or on my new app or on my new software program or on my management uh and usually the misconception comes in that that's a that's going to be an easy thing to do uh, we have a saying around here that every client that comes to us has the greatest story that's never been told. Uh, and that usually means that they think it's going to be easy. They think they've got a great story uh, and they don't realize that it's a, it's a difficult process to get the media, again, the earned media, that we have to earn the right to have the story placed in uh, in there, I used to say that, for example, the Wall Street Journal probably gets 100,000 pitches every week from PR people. Uh, 
and what that has to be, what we're trying to do there is say, it's very difficult. You have to have certain things for the media to pay attention to you. So the greatest misconception to me is that it's an easy and it's not just, it's a long process. And uh, we have a saying around here, one of my people have a saying that says, uh, the first three letters of news uh, is new. And uh, what you need to have when you approach the media is something new. You have to have a piece of news, real news, not just puffery, not just because you say something is great, but something that you can actually show and exhibit and prove that it is interesting, new, and different, and so on. Uh, and that's the first step. And so, again, going back, what's the greatest misconception? That it's an easy process to get something with PR. Uh, that it's a matter of picking up a phone and calling someone you know. And that's the next greatest misconception of public relations, is that it's who you know uh, that a PR person, it, it's who you know in the media, and it's simply a matter of picking up a phone or sending an email uh, or a text to someone you know, and they're going to immediately say, hey, great, I can't wait to run that story. Not going to happen. Uh, no matter who you, you could have a cousin, you could have a wife or a husband, and at the same time, they're going to add demand the same thing. Where's the value to my audience? So every day we have to figure out creative ways. And that's one of the things I say is one of the real creative values of, I mean, creative things about public relations versus advertising is that we have to create a reason that the media is going to care, that the media is going to want to take their space and use it on our clients. And lastly, that somehow it's, free advertising, which is also an old term that used to, PR is nothing but free advertising. And I like to say things because a whole lot of people make their living doing PR and pitching publicity. Uh, it's not free. That's how we make our living. So we charge for that ability to get the media to want to do a story about our clients. Yeah. And it definitely shows results. I will say like I've been promoted on, you know, some, some podcast based media and that is miles and away better than any, you know, billboard I could buy. Or if you want to advertise, you can go on Facebook and just give them 20 bucks and they'll show your, an ad of your thing to random exactly. people across the world. That's not hard. It's also not beneficial. Yeah. And again, it's, uh, the audience should be able to discern whether something's been, again, paid for or whether it's something that somebody was willing to say, uh, I'm an editor of Forbes or I'm an editor at Entrepreneur or um, and I'm willing to say this is something that my audience needs to hear about. It's important. It's new. It's different. Uh, it's going to make me a hero with my boss by running some kind of story on it. Uh, it's not just simply paying, a, whether it be 20 bucks or a hundred thousand to get that, uh, to get that story told. So absolutely. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of PR has to be kind of 
and correct me if I'm wrong, creating and displaying an image that is beneficial for, for your client while also showing that they have, you know, something that people need to pay attention to. Yes. And none of us in the PR profession would stay in the PR profession very long if we weren't uh, very cognizant of making sure that what we're saying and telling about our clients is of a positive nature. Absolutely. I mean, uh, so yes, you try and put your client in the best light, but at the same time, you can't lie about your client. You can't just uh, present the good sides without any kind of bad side. So uh, we're very careful about when we take a client, first of all, that it meets our standards, so to speak, of what we consider is good, right, and and honest, and a certain amount of integrity involved in it. Uh, absolutely. But at the same time, we also recognize we're, we, we have to always look for the positive and make sure that the uh, that the client's best side is showing. That makes sense. Is there a difference when you're trying to promote a, a certain person's work versus when you're trying to promote, you know, maybe a business's work that hires you? Or is it just kind of once they've made a brand for themselves, a brand stands on its own? Yeah, what really makes the difference is where's the, and I'll go back to what I said a bit ago, Colton, is it's, where's the news? Uh, is the news in what the the person is the behind the brand? Is it the brand itself that's doing things? Is it a combination of that? So when we we uh, look at at how we're going to get the media to pay attention and to run a story, we're looking at where is the news. So uh, we we look at all of those factors. And uh, and yes, the client might come to us and say we want to introduce. Uh, uh, um, software version 3.0 of our latest product, etc. cetera. Uh, we're obviously there and we don't care that much about, you know, the management of the company. We care about introducing a product. And of course, we're going to look at what, what makes that version 3.0 most interesting to the media that we're talking to. We're also going to be looking though at the same time as at the management behind it and the brand and making sure that we're, uh, you never know when that can play a role in adding credibility to that version 3.0. The management, the brand itself, as they have, they introduced other things in the past. Will the media understand? Does it have already a good reputation within the media, that particular brand? Or in certain cases, the management is the brand itself. I mean, you look at, uh, uh, you know, uh, SpaceX and you and you can't help but see Elon and so forth. So you're going to see many times the person is almost the brand itself. But, but how you approach it is looking for first and foremost Where's the news value in whatever they're bringing us? And then you add the other elements, uh, whether it be the, uh, an existing brand, whether it be the management, uh, what we call the backstory. Is there a good backstory to any kind of a piece of news? All of that comes into play. Yeah, when you're talking, the first kind of thing I thought of was Elon Musk, who is very much like, 
he's become a personality that for whatever reason, good or bad has just kind of taken control of, you know, his own stock prices. And when he does something that the public views as good or shareholders might view as good, like his price goes up, even if the company hasn't done anything new or relevant, like he doesn't have to introduce a new product. He just has to be really charismatic. Right. Elon Musk falls into that category of uh, it's a wonderful PR problem to have, meaning that you're never going to have a hard time having the media pay attention. But you've got to make sure that they're paying attention for the right reasons. So it's it's it can be a nightmare. It's it's a good thing, but it can also be a a really difficult thing to handle because they're going to be constantly looking. And also when you have someone that has such polarization in the media that you've got to be very careful about where you're taking the story and who you're talking to about it, because they're going to have their own preconceived notions of whether that person and that, uh, that they taint what they're doing, you know, Elon Musk may have a great product and uh, whether it be the Tesla or whether it be uh, some of his other ventures, but uh, is it being tainted by what the preconceived notion of him? Yeah, that's very true. And it makes me think of, you know, the old saying I'm sure everyone's heard, which is all press is good press. Is that true? Um, not necessarily. I, we hear that a lot and, but particularly because of the way we've built way I built my company, which is on being paid for coverage. Is it always good to have coverage? Well, of course not. You know, uh, it's not always good. Just, you know, as long as the, what was the old adage, as long as they spell my name, right, what do I care? Well, you in today's modern world, and particularly in today's digital world, uh, you have to care. You have to care a lot. <laughs> it's not just whether they spell your name right. It's the context of which they're spelling your name. And you've got to be very, very careful today in particular. Yeah, that's definitely true, especially with you know the way that the internet is, where you can instantly review something as a potential buyer that you know doesn't even necessarily own the product. If I hear that you know the sub shop down the street has been lighting places on fire, like yes, I'm now <laughs> more I'm more aware that they exist, so they have got press, and I'm aware of them. However, right. I you know anyone on the internet that has access to that story can also go to their Google page or something and leave them a one-star review and be like, boo, don't set stuff on fire. Absolutely. You know, we, we just went through a four-year presidency where it wasn't difficult to get press on the president. He was a master at getting press. Was it all good press? Maybe to the base, maybe to those 30 million people that follow his every word, it was good. But it was also highly negative, and and it proved to be the case in terms of a one-term presidency. But, yeah, it's today's world makes it very, very difficult, very difficult to, uh, to navigate through that 
because of the negativity that can come with, you know, I've often said that it only takes one person saying one falsehood. And before long, that falsehood is carried. By the time that's been carried through four or five different social media platforms, it suddenly becomes fact as opposed to rumor or frankly, just a pure falsehood that was stated in the beginning. So people today have to be very careful about what they're, uh, what they're reading, what they're paying attention to. And again, what you said a while ago, which is true, is what's the source? Is it a credible source? And um, I say that over and over again today. But we, we try not to, from our standpoint and PR standpoint, we try not to deal in that. We try to deal before we take something to the media. We try and make sure that we've done our own due diligence to make sure that it's credible before we take it to somebody else. Because our name's going to be on it as well as the vehicle that presented it to the media. It makes me think of... And I don't know if you've had this situation, you've been in PR for a long time, so I'm sure it wouldn't be a first, but you're kind of given a client or a client comes to you that has had some unnecessarily bad press, you know, maybe somebody, you know, took some real time to drag them through the mud, but you have maybe the evidence that says like, this is a good product or it is a good company. How do you try to overcome some of those hurdles that you know you're going to have to face? Well, several ways. One, you look for, I mean, this sounds like, uh, you know, grandma advice, but you look for the good, first of all. And if, if you believe that there is good there in terms of, and by I mean good, I mean positive, good things that have happened, done, et cetera, not just, and, and you try and isolate what was the negative, okay? Uh, and play off of that. We had a client years and years ago that the money that founded this particular client, and it was a medical device, by the way, but the money that was behind the company in the first place was illegal money that was through drug dealing. Okay. And uh -oh. we found that out. But was the company a good company? Were the products very good? Absolutely. And were they beneficial medically? Yes, they absolutely were. So we had a difficult time, though, and the way we overcame it, it sounds pretty basic. We were honest, and that's the advice I give to my clients more than not when they come to us. Don't hide the fact that you've got negativity. In that case, it was those people were no longer with the company. They hadn't been with the company in a long time, but you can't hide it because particularly in today's world, it, it takes a few keystrokes for any good reporter to find out everything they ever wanted to know about some company or product or the people behind it. So you got to be upfront and honest in terms of that. And then you've got to feature and push the positives of whatever the company is or the product it is today and not, not linger on that, but be honest and keep it, take, put it up front. And that's one of the things I give to advice. I give to clients right away that have come to us and they said, Oh, uh, Oh, and by the way, uh, and then they tell me something terrible and negative, you know, and I say, okay, we got to get that up front then. 
uh, don't think not. And the same thing I give clients that have come into what I would call crisis communication. My, my concept of crisis communication, and there are firms that have made millions on giving advice in terms of a crisis, whether it be a Tylenol that was bad or tainted, or whether it be a oil spill, or uh, you can name the other things. Uh, once I once was involved even with Coca-Cola back in the 80s when, when their crisis was that they came out with a thing called New Coke that nobody wanted to drink. And, uh, and while it wasn't an oil spill, or a tainted product where people had died, it was still, uh, you know, something. But again, the best advice, be honest, be upfront. Don't, don't insult your, don't insult your potential customers by trying to lie to them or hide it. And if you've done something, if something's happened with your product, and I say the best way to deal with it is get it up front and get it out of the way. And don't lie about it. You know, if you've got an oil spill and you've since corrected it, and here are the things that you've done that you've instituted to make sure. First of all, you you you're upfront about what happened, what was the accident, who was responsible to the best. If you don't know that you're certainly investigating it, and and when you discover it, you will be upfront with the media about when you discover that. Secondly, and most importantly, here's what we're doing to correct it. Here are the processes we've put into place. And thirdly, that we are sincerely sorry for our customers, both our past customers as well as our future customers by from this incident. And we pledge that we are going to do everything to continue to have good products in spite of this problem we've had. That doesn't take $200,000 a month of advice from some crisis firm. That takes about five minutes of sitting down and having a conversation. Uh, and uh, it sounds funny, but it's the same, you know, it's the same advice your grandma would give you, you know? Yeah. You know, Colton, just be honest about it, for God's sake. And let's move on, you know? Don't yeah. lie to them. And, uh, uh, it, it, but it's amazing how many people have made millions of dollars on dragging that advice out over three or four months. And, uh, and by the way, it's also a reason for a lot of the big traditional firms don't particularly appreciate me because I'm, I am honest about the fact that I don't think all that's necessary, that you've just got to be upfront. Yeah. There's an interesting like thread in there that follows to a previous guest I had who is a Coca-Cola historian. And he had ah. said that was one of the greatest pivots that he had ever seen was moving from new Coke back to Coke classic. Um, yes. He's like, this was one of the greatest maneuvers that has ever been pulled off in history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I remember it. Well, uh, I was with, I was with happened to be with the big PR firm that, that handled Coca-Cola and was giving them advice at the time. So I remember all of that and the panic. Uh, well, you can imagine the panic within Coca-Cola at the time, because all of a sudden they weren't selling and it became a real negative that they had, Oh my God, what had we done to this, to the famous secret formula? You know, 
Yeah. Almost as, you know, it's a, it's the, you know, the Kentucky fried chicken and Coca-Cola and all these people that have this secret formula that, you know, uh, anyway, but yes, that was a, uh, that was quite a scene. <laughs> and I've seen others though. My God in heaven, I had a client one time, uh, you talk about giving honest advice. I had a client that was in the medical device and by medical device, I mean, they manufactured and sold a artificial heart valve. Okay. So this meant that this was a, this was a life or death device implanted by surgeons. And what they had discovered, uh, they didn't discover it, but what was happening and they came to us was that quite a few people were dying because that heart valve was rupturing. And they basically, they wanted to hide the fact by saying, in effect, their argument was, we've implanted 200,000 of the, I don't know, they remember the exact amount, but let's say 200,000 of the, these devices. And only less than a thousand have ruptured and become, you know, a problem. And my point was, you're still looking, let's say it was 900, 900 out of 200,000. I don't know what the percentage is, but it's very, very tiny. Those 900, though, killed people. Okay. And so you, you can't just say it doesn't matter to us. You've got to say those 900 people that died are very important to us. And we're going to, and we're going to make sure that even those 900 people, we're going to strive for 100% of not just nine, 99.9.8%. You know, we need 100%. And you've got to be upfront with the press because the press isn't going to go out there and sing your praises because you've got a very tiny percentage of failure. You've got to go out there because they're going to harbor on that. So be upfront with it. Understand it. You can't hide it. You can't sweep it under the rug. Just be honest. What's so terrible about just being honest and moving forward to that you're doing something? I've seen it over and over, with, particularly in this area where you get into this area where there's a crisis of some kind. Now, Coca-Cola's new formula wasn't killing people. Don't get me wrong, but but it probably killed a few careers at Coca-Cola. Okay, but nevertheless, it's particularly those areas where you where where there's been real human harm that particularly needs somebody to step up. And by the way, human harm doesn't mean necessarily death. It could mean loss of savings. It could mean uh, illegal, you know, the Ponzi schemes and some of the things that happened at Enron and, and so forth. Uh, those hurt people in real ways. And you still have to be honest about it and show that you're fixing it or you're not going to fix it. And therefore, you don't give a damn about your customers or potential customers. Yeah. And there's a big difference when you say that, like, you know, as a marketing tactic or as a way to make people feel better about buying, you know, this heart valve that they might need saying a 99.9% you know, success rate is great. 
but when that story is getting covered in the news, they're not going to say, well, it has a 0.01% failure rate. They're going to say 900 people died. And exactly. That, That's exactly what they were saying. Yeah, that flat number is going to be huge. And acknowledge that those each one of those 900 people were a life that, that were important to you as your customer and that you care about those people and you're, and, and stop worrying about too many people when a crisis happens like that, the first people they hide behind, and God forgive me for saying this, are their lawyers, okay? Lawyers in the business of, of, of hiding, of protecting liability, they're not in the business of being honest about uh, from a PR standpoint. So that's one of the clashes you have when you're working in a big firm or working for a big firm is you have that clash of the legal liability and uh, as opposed to honesty at times. But anyway, I've seen it come and go. I, you know, what can I tell you? It's, it's, uh, 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 I, I noticed one of the things that you had been written down about me is one of the reasons, yes, I like to go out on a motorcycle once in a while and just clear my head. Uh, this business can be stressful. Uh, it can also be a lot of fun. Uh, but yes, you deal with things every day in terms of trying to figure out again, creatively, how you get your clients in, uh, in the, in the media and with, and doing it with honesty and, uh, and integrity. Yeah. Sometimes it can be stressful. So yeah, I, I, tend to like to get on a bike once in a while and feel the wind in my hair, you know? Yeah. Anything to get away from the, the stressors of the office. Yeah. But it's still, a, it's still been a very good profession for me. I'm not going to lie about that. It's been, I wouldn't have changed anything over the years. And, uh, and, and even one of the reasons I wrote, wrote the book was so that I could leave at least something in the way of some, hopefully some pearls of wisdom uh, acquired over 50 years in this business of, of how to, how to get the media to care. Uh, but one of the things I tried to do with the book, Colton was, was, and the reason it even has the title, it's the media stupid uh, is a play off of the old Clinton campaign where they, uh, uh, in the war room where they had the sign on the wall that said, it's the media. I mean, it's the economy stupid where everything that was said or done in the way of communications for that campaign was supposed to be focused on the economy because that was their, that was their selling point in terms of winning the election. So my point was everything you do in the world of PR and the way of getting the coverage should be centered on what the media wants and needs and not on necessarily on what the client wants or needs. And when you find what the media wants or needs and you can fit your client within that or the story within that and what they're doing, then you've got a win-win on both times and you invariably get great coverage. And that was the point of that. Think of them. And by the way, that's an outlier in the world of PR too. For me to say what the media wants is more important than what your client wants. That, that isn't what I'm saying necessarily but what i'm saying is take your clients needs take your client what they're trying to say and do and want about themselves 
and fit it within what the media is looking for and needing and understanding their needs. And that's when you'll get the best possible coverage for your client. Yeah. And it seems like you have certainly, you know, as we've said a couple of times, you've kind of skirted the norm when it comes to a PR company in that everyone kind of wants to get paid up front. They want to drag it out a long time. They want to really like get as much profit as they can from this. What is the standard? We'll start with the normal PR and then with how you do it. But what's the standard behind getting paid for PR? Well, today, normally what it is, it's uh, a large retainer based on an estimate of hourly fees. And what a firm would do was they, they need to have everybody in that firm billable up to certain levels in order to, to charge that client enough every month to make it worthwhile, whether or not they're getting anything for the client, they, you know, and so uh, one of the drives that used to drive the big PR firms I worked for was making sure I was billable enough every month, get those billable hours in, get those billable hours in, you know, and I, every once in a while, I would say something that was really pissed people off and say, well, but isn't it more important as to what we're doing with those hours than how many hours and what we're accomplishing? Just don't worry about that. Get the hours in. Uh, and so uh, I used to have a saying that the most creative thing a lot of PR firms do every week is their timesheet. But yes, what traditionally how a PR firm is paid is on a retainer based on hourly fees and then um, the hourly fees or or it could be just on pure hourly fees that are accumulated and sent in the way of things what what we did what i did was i sort of flipped the model when i started this place was saying okay what's if in fact it's the media coverage that's the most important thing to clients how do we first focus on that and getting that and then charging if we actually get that for a client. And so um, basically I started by saying, we're going to have a virtual company, which was unheard of 25 years ago, meaning that I wanted to find senior level people that could work from home. I didn't care about the office. Uh, that wasn't as important as the people that were going to be working and making sure that they, uh, that they were smart, bright knew how to do what they were doing and so the idea was i'll find x media types let them work from home let them work remotely and and yes i noticed in some notes by the way that it said in the days of faxes and telephones and that's exactly what it was when we first started this the the internet was when i first started it was really in an infancy and uh, yeah, most of our stuff was done not even with email, but with faxes and telephones. Uh, but the idea being you could work from home, it lowered the overhead, but it gave me access to much more experienced people because they were tired of commuting in from White Plains to, uh, uh, to Manhattan every day or from Long Island to Manhattan or from the East Bay into San Francisco, or you pick the place, there's going to be a bad commute usually from where they were living to where they were going. Uh, so work remote, brand new, 
never nobody was doing it in those days. Second thing was we got really great people that really knew how, and I often said, it's not so much who you know in the media, but it's your news instincts that really understood how you could, where was the news value in any client's story? Uh, those are the people I wanted. And so let them work from home. And then by doing that, we could actually share in the financial risk with the client because I didn't have the overhead that those great big firms did with those great big office towers and those fancy offices. I had people that were working out of their bedrooms and I could pay them well, but I could pay them based on what they were actually delivering and by the story as opposed to uh, by the hour. And that's, that's what started this and how it's different than the traditional firm, which is paid by the hour based on either the hourly or retainer and so forth, as opposed to, you know, no, we still charge, a, we, we do charge a small monthly fee or a retainer. There's no way around that. It's not, it's not much, but it's a way of, uh, uh, it's a way of paying what we call keep the lights on money. Uh, but what we really do is then we ask a client to earmark a budget, uh, never escrowed, but earmark a budget against which actual placements are going to be charged. And we charge by the placement based on the audience size of that placement in the most simple way. But, but yeah, traditional firms, they work by a, usually a large retainer based on hourly fees or pure hourly fees. Interesting. Yeah, when you were talking about, you know, working remote, especially starting, you know, decades ago before it became the hot topic it is today, I've talked to somebody who runs a business professionally and the biggest selling point they have is that everything is remote. And, you know, they say it saves 500 hours worth of your time. It saves all the gas. It saves, and, you know, for them as a company, it saves all the electricity, the rental fees, the building, whatever it is. Like it, it saves so much that they can pass that on into their final pricing. Well, exactly. And PR firms, you know, what we decided, there are others now that are trying to do what we've done years ago. But, but that was exactly it. Because the fee, the hourly fees they were charging incorporated all of those expenses you know, somebody, the client's paying for that fancy office in downtown Manhattan uh, and the salaries of the people they have to pay that are going to have to pay because they're going to be driving and spending money. And uh, all of that has to go. Somebody has got to pay for it. And that means the client has to pay for it ultimately. And so by eliminating that, that doesn't mean we're necessarily going to be cheaper than that traditional firm, but it means that they're actually going to get something tangible in return because I, I can feel more comfortable by charging a client a few thousand dollars for an actual placement that is tangible that they can see rather than sending them a bill every month that says, we're still trying but we haven't landed anything yet. But by the way, here's all the hours we put into that this so far this month. And it just makes more, it makes more sense. It, to me, it's fair, you know? Yeah. To me, that would be really disheartening if I was 
to go to a PR company and, and start paying them money. And I got a bill at the end of the month that said, look, we haven't gotten you placed anywhere, but we did spend 200 man hours on it. I'd be like, wow, 200 man hours. And I'm still not good enough to be anywhere. That's really kind of a crushing thought. Yeah. And what we've tried to do is I'm not, I don't lie to my clients at all that we, you know, again, and ultimately they may spend the same kind of money, probably not, but they may spend the same kind of money, but they'll have a tangible result, you know, uh, what I'll do is I'll charge them after the fact and, and don't get me wrong. They'll be, they'll be charged well for that, but they'll get something they can tangibly see in return. And, uh, and also in all honesty, the people that work for us, we get better people and more senior people have all these years. I've got people that are working with me that have still been working with me for 25 years. And these are still people that work from home, work in a bedroom or a home office or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and, and they love it. They get the feeling they're still in the business. They're still in the business of pitching, placing interesting stories on interesting clients to the media. And they're getting paid well for it. And uh, at most, they have to walk across a driveway to the house from from the broom above the garage you know so uh it's a it was a unique model years ago and the, what's surprising Colton, is how it's still pretty unique uh particularly the compensation i i can't tell you the number of clients that come to us going i've never heard of this you know i've never heard of actually being paid after where you get paid after the fact as opposed to before and you know, I used to have to say, you know, uh, somebody once asked me in a debate, by the way, if, yeah, but what if a doctor was paid that way? And I said, you know what? You'd have a lot less bad doctors if that was the case. <laughs> yeah, you certainly would. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I want to be better before I pay you. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but uh, it's it's been a good ride. It's been a good ride. I'd like to think that we're going to continue for quite a few more years, and uh, 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 and I, we've enjoyed the clients. I've had everything from uh, obviously B two B corporate kind of clients, uh, uh, particularly lately over the last ten years or so. Lots of kind of startups and apps and so forth, and. Uh, but I've, we've also had celebrity clients. I've, I, I stopped working for celebrity clients probably quite a few years ago, simply because it was, uh, the, uh, the egos were more than I wanted to have to deal with. And, uh, you know, I could, I could tell many, many, many stories of celebrity clients that just couldn't understand why, why they weren't getting coverage in their, another celebrity that they knew was getting coverage. And it was very difficult to explain to them once again, that even the celebrity media wants news. Okay. And our job was to get them coverage, not to, uh, not to, not to suck up to them as celebrities. So I just, we pretty much put that on one side and said, that's, it's not worth it to go through that kind of agony. You know? Yeah. So you've written this book, 
you know, you're passing on your experience and the wisdom and, you know, with all of that said, would you still advise someone to get into this field? Like if I said, Hey, I want to get involved in PR, would you say, I think that's a good idea? Or is there, you know, an advice that you would give someone who is looking at the field? Yeah, I would say if, but my advice would be count would be couched in, are you a news junkie? Do you feel like you're up to speed? Do you care about the news every day, whether it be political, business, uh, whether it be cultural news, whether it be pop culture? Uh, are you a person that kind of keeps your up to date on things? That's the first thing. If you're not, then don't get into this business because that's the business you're going to be in. Uh, the second thing I'd say is, you know, do you want to make a, are you interested in making, becoming rich? Uh, if you're interested in being a, a millionaire or a billionaire these days, by the time you're 30, uh, it's probably not the one business you want to be in. There's probably other ways to do something brilliant and start some company or the next big thing. Uh, but if you really enjoy, uh, if you enjoy people, if you enjoy understanding and learning about uh, what I have a whole thing I say about uh, finding out how people get other people to write them checks. You know, uh, the number of different kinds of businesses that are out there, the, the number of different kinds of people that inherit, the, that are uh, inhabit those businesses. If you can, if you're really genuinely curious about the human condition and about business and about the media, then by all means get into this business because it's a, it can be a great ride. You can make good money. I don't know if you're ever going to be rich, uh, uh, but you can make good money and a good living, and uh, and you can have some great experiences along the way. Uh, so yeah, if, if you've got a few of those attributes going, I would advise them. Absolutely. I tell people, one of the things that I say, and I'm serious about this, when I talk to somebody is when somebody gave me that advice years ago, and I heard it was given to somebody else even years before that. But the advice was, uh, take your job seriously, but never yourself, you know, uh, this is not a profession. We're not curing cancer. You know, we're not rocket science. We're basically getting stories about our clients in the media, you know, and it can be fun. It can be interesting. It can even be life changing. There have been times where we've been involved in stories that were literally changed lives and that can be very fulfilling, but let's face it. It's, it's not, uh, uh, you're not out there curing cancer. You're not developing the next heart transplant. But again, I, don't take yourself too seriously. It's still, it's still take, go to work and have fun at it, for God's sake, because that's, that's the only way to really succeed in this business, because it can be full of a bunch of, uh, I don't know what you'd say, ridiculous crap at times, too. And we also have a saying that, you know, this is a great business except for the clients uh, because you're going to be dealing with clients. And somebody says, well, I, I, I don't want to have a boss. Therefore, I'm going to become a publicist and be on my own. And guess what? You're going to have 
10 bosses then because the clients are your boss. You've got to learn to deal with that and navigate through that. But would I advise people? Sure, if they have the right attributes and the right attitude, absolutely. And I've had some great questions today, and I should say that uh, Todd sent a lot of these. And thank you, Todd, for for writing and uh, helping out with some of these questions. We had just one more I wanted to touch on before I let you go, but thank you very much for your time. If we were looking at the other side of things, not necessarily someone wanting to get into working in PR, but someone who wanted to hire a PR representative, what should they look for? And then what should they look out for? Like, what's the biggest red flags if I want to go hire a PR person today? Well, one of the first red flags is somebody that's guaranteeing they can get you coverage because you can't guarantee you're going to get coverage in PR. If you want that, go buy go buy an ad or hire an advertising agency. Uh, so there are many people out there that say, yes, we can get, we can, I'll guarantee you, I'll get you in the Wall Street Journal or I'll get you on in Wired or whatever, okay? Uh, or I'll get you on uh, on Colton Colton's podcast. I'll guarantee you that. Uh, nobody can guarantee that because even you are discerning enough to say, I want somebody interesting I'm going to be talking to for an hour. Okay. Uh, so uh, the first thing is don't, don't listen to anybody that guarantees coverage for you. Okay. Uh, and, and look for those people that you think are compatible with you. Make sure the chemistry is right because a good PR firm or a good publicist working with you uh, they have to not just share your values, but they, and you're not always going to know all of those, but they're going to have to share to a degree your attitude about life and conversation and so forth. So make sure there's good chemistry because you're going to be working very closely with that person. If they're doing their job, they're going to be working very closely with you as a, it's corny, but it's true as almost a partner. And uh, because it's, it. Nothing and don't expect to hire somebody and then just turn them loose and say a month later, where's my story in Forbes? It's not going to happen. So you've got to look for somebody that's honest. You got to look for somebody that's where the chemistry works. Uh, you've got to work for somebody that by honest, I mean, where they're not guaranteeing you stuff. Uh, we prefer that doesn't mean there aren't great publicists and great firms that are working under a retainer or an hourly fee. I'm not saying that. There are good firms like that. And uh, absolutely. Uh, but what you got to look for is it, it, look for the coverage that they've actually gotten for their clients. Uh, ask to see some of the stuff, not just the stuff they post on their website, but ask to talk to a couple of clients, see how it is to work with that firm or that person. Uh, and get that kind of advice before you buy into it. And, you know, and look around, talk to people, do your due diligence. Don't just, don't just hire the next, the fancy firm that you've heard is good. Because usually there's a, find somebody that's compatible with you. That's my advice. I, I think that, and, and by the way, and as I've said, there are many good firms, not just, 
my firm or the way we charge, but there are many good firms. I'm not kidding myself that there aren't, uh, but it's the big overstuff, take yourself too seriously, charge big fees, that kind of BS I can't stand. And I would advise anybody to stay away from those kind of firms. And they're out there. <laughs> I believe it. Thank you very much for your time. I've appreciated this immensely. It was great to get to talk to you. Uh, why don't you, just for everyone that's listening, give one more plug to, so that they can find your book, they can find you if they're looking to get some PR work done, any of that. Sure. Well, obviously, my name is Dick Grove. My, my firm is Inc. I-N-K, Public Relations, and uh, our website is uh, www.inkinc pr.com inkinkpr.com uh you can go to the website it's also uh, the book also is available on its own website it's available through amazon uh both as a ebook as well as a uh a, um, soft cover uh paperback and uh, the name of the book is it's the media stupid pr without the bs and uh that's also the website. So uh, uh, I've, I've enjoyed this immensely. You seem like a good guy. You've asked good questions. So uh, thank you very much for having me. Yes, thank you for being on. Thank you for listening to the Just Dumb Enough podcast. If you want to help the show grow, rate it to five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or Audible. By far, the best thing you can do for the show is just to tell someone else about it really gets people to listen more than any other method, and it doesn't cost anyone anything. I've been having a great time down here in Austin. A huge thank you to the whole Tetherball Academy media team for taking care of me. There's soon to be a whole bunch more content on the internet with me in it. I'll tell you where you can watch that all next week. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, and questions from the audience. So reach out to me, email me at dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com or send a message to any of the show pages on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever else. Lastly, the ranking updates for June. First, the United States, with the top states now being Indiana and California, and Florida closely behind. Number two, Canada, with Quebec firmly over the other provinces this time around. 3. The United Kingdom 4. Australia Pushed back down a couple slots, but still holding on to the top 5 firmly. And 5. New Zealand I think that does it for this week. I'll see you all in the next episode. Bye bye